Friends, we made it. We arrived on the other side of Christmas, right? Hopefully a little bit jollier, maybe a little bit rounder. I know that for me, I ate a few more cookies and treats than I budgeted for at the beginning of December or Thanksgiving. Uh, And we are just one day away from the start of a brand new year, 2019. Aren't you excited? I know I am. And the end of a rather full 2018. I mean, from the gifts we received to the gifts we bought to work parties, family gatherings, those obligatory extended family gatherings, to community events like tree lightings, pictures with Santa, doorbuster sales. And then there are all those family traditions like making cookies or watching CBS Christmas specials like Frosty and Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer or going through Advent calendars that count down to that big day with chocolates. And honestly, I think it's easy for the winter holiday season to get so crowded with all the hustle and bustle of all these things, all good things, but still crowded. And I don't know about you, but it can also become a time where the king of Christmas almost becomes an afterthought. Now, there's nothing wrong with celebrating. Don't misunderstand me. This is a time of year that should give us plenty of opportunities for festivities and celebrations that warm our hearts and infuse a whole lot of joy into the mundane rhythms of the year. But if all we do is stamp the name of Jesus on our holiday festivities without really thinking about him and his kingdom and all that he came to do for us and in us, then I would submit to you that maybe we're robbing ourselves of truly experiencing and embracing the gift of Christmas year in and year out. I would submit to you that there is a way to allow the King of Christmas, Jesus Christ, to impact your life, not just today, not just on Christmas almost a week ago, but all the way throughout this new year, 2019 and beyond. And so that's what I would like to share with you this morning. I know for me and maybe for all of us at some point or another, we get to the end of Advent and we ask the question, so what? Not, not disrespectfully, not irreverently, don't misunderstand me there, but maybe just out of a sheer sense of transparency and maybe even cynicism, But just asking, you know, so what? I know it's really important that Jesus was born over 2,000 years ago. It's really valuable for us to remember that moment in history because, friends, it shaped all of history. We base our calendar off of Jesus' birth. Come on, that's a good thing. And I know that it's healthy and good for us to spend some quality time with family and friends and even to give gifts and to receive gifts all of that is good but at the end of it all i just get to this point where i ask is that all there is another gathering another party is there maybe room for something else asking the question so what is really asking the question what's so important about advent that we do it every single year does it still matter Have you ever felt that way before? I know I have. 
That's why I'm telling you about it. Uh, And so my hope is that by the end of our time together this morning, that we will discover some ways of answering that so what question. And maybe even that will inspire us to ask the even bigger and more important question, now what? Sound like a plan? All right. Now, to get things started this morning, uh, the title for today's message is Making Room. And our big idea is that God's kingdom will be established when we embrace its value. And our passage this morning is Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 through 46. Now, in the Gospel of Matthew, the term the kingdom of heaven is mentioned 29 times. I think he's trying to get our attention. And two of those times occur in our selection of verses today. Which begs the question, what is the kingdom of heaven? I'm glad you asked. Uh, A core definition that I learned in Bible college, and I think it gives me and maybe us a clear understanding of what the kingdom of heaven is, uh, is that the kingdom of heaven is the place where God is king and where God's will is perfectly done. It's not the place where you are king and where your will is perfectly done. It's not the place where I'm king and my will is perfectly done, thank goodness. And, you know, it's the place where God is king, not us. And so that that begs the other question, what is the king of that kingdom like? Exodus 34 reveals to us that God is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. In short, as we learned last Sunday, God is love and God is just. He is faithful and he is good. His standard for his kingdom is righteousness, right living, wisdom. In his way, his very nature is holiness. But if we were to sit down and we were to have a cup of coffee or a soda or something and we were to just be discussing what the world is like, I don't know that we would use such positive language. I don't know that we would use such lofty terms as that. I believe that maybe we would describe the world and humanity as broken, as incomplete, maybe as though something's not quite right. Maybe we'd even venture to say that things are not as they're supposed to be. And so that's why we pray things like the Lord's Prayer. We say, God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because through reciting this prayer, we're saying, God, we know that your will is perfect. We know that your way is good and things are not good down here. And so would you establish your kingdom down here on earth as it is in heaven? Because as people of faith, we believe that the creator of all things is the only one capable of setting the wrong things to right. 
And Advent is that time each year when we remember that the King of Heaven decided to leave his throne in order to rescue us and establish his kingdom in our hearts by faith in his salvation. Not only that, but we also wait for the time when he will come again and fully establish his rule and reign on earth and to completely set all things to right once and for all. So as we explore the implications that the King of Christmas may have on our lives beyond Advent, it's my hope that we will discover that God's kingdom will be established when we embrace its value. Now in our passage today, we are picking up in a place in Jesus' life where he is speaking to his disciples. It's right after one of his larger teaching times and ministry times. This would have been a moment where the disciples got to just get alone with Jesus and ask him some questions, maybe to ask some clarifications like, wow, Jesus, you healed that guy. Man, wow, what was going on there? You know, and maybe they were sharing a meal and whatever the case, this is a close look that we get at how Jesus was illustrating to his disciples what the kingdom of heaven is like so that they would have a greater understanding of it for themselves. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 13, beginning in verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then, in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Making room. Now, I wonder how many of us, um, when we make the list for things that we want for Christmas, that we count the cost. And I'm not talking about the dollars and cents kind of cost. Like, you know, that's a really important thing to do. See how much money you do or don't have for things. Right? But I'm talking about the spatial awareness kind of cost. How much physical space do you have for these things? Will that new 72 inch flat screen TV really fit in my living room? Is there space in my cupboards for a new Pioneer Woman pan set? Would that rolling tool chest and 200-piece matching tool set really fit inside my garage with the new drill press, bandsaw, and brand-new state-of-the-art planer machine that I want, people, and whatever fill-in-the-blank large piece of tool stuff that you want, right? Do we have room for that? Ladies, I know it's a cliche, and so forgive me, but it works. Is there a room in your closet for that new five-pack of scarves that just go with every outfit? You know, or that pair of boots that's on sale at Fred Meyer or some other fill-in-the-blank accessory. Surely I have space for one more guitar or three. Um, Come on, you know what I'm talking about. We desire all these things, right? We make lists for people because we ask for these things and we hope that they're going to give it to us or at least give us a gift card so we can go out and buy it ourselves. 
But do we really consider the physical room that we would have to make in order to receive and use those gifts that people give us? A few years back, I think it was before my son Owen was born, uh, my parents were at Costco, which is a dangerous place for grandparents to be. And they, uh, you know, they're like most grandparents, like, you know, some of you may be today. They just want to shower their grandkids with toys and good things. So they were walking through the toy section and they saw this ginormous teddy bear. I mean, this teddy bear was at least three or four times the size of my daughter, Maggie, and at least five or six times the size of my son, Reuben, at the time. And so my parents call us up and they say, hey, can we get a, a bear for each of the kids? You know, because, I, I don't know, they got a Christmas bonus or something. Anyway, so they call us up, and although I'm sure that Maggie and Reuben would have loved to come downstairs or go into the living room on Christmas morning and see these ginormous teddy bears... Angie and I counted the cost of space that we had, and uh, there wasn't a lot of space in their rooms, let alone the living room where they would end up every single day. So we considered the room it would take, and we redirected their focus another direction. We make room for the things that we see as valuable. Sometimes it's the things we need, sometimes it's the things we want, but overall we make space in our lives when we believe that a certain something is worth it. The big idea that we're exploring today is that God's kingdom will be established when we embrace its value. And in the text we just read from the words of Jesus, there are two almost mirror illustrations of two men who responded to the kingdom when they discovered it. They saw its value and then they made unparalleled room in their life just to obtain it, just to secure it, just to have the kingdom. And so I believe there are some lessons that we can learn from the Gospel of Matthew today. Uh, and the first is that making room for the kingdom will require sacrifice. In Jesus' first parable, he tells of a man who was walking through a field and he found a treasure that in his estimation was so valuable that he went and sold everything he had just to buy that field. Evidently, the value of the treasure was, that he found was worth sacrificing any and all money that he had along with all of his earthly possessions just to get it. There's another place in scripture that illustrates this action of going all in for a treasure of great value, and that is in the story of Jacob and Rachel in Genesis. You may, may remember that Jacob left his home and paid, uh, to go to the land of Paden Aram where his mom's family lived, and when he got there, one of the first people that he saw was this beautiful, gorgeous woman named Rachel, and Jacob instantly was captivated by her beauty, which would eventually lead him to sacrifice his freedom just for the opportunity to marry her. He made an agreement with his uncle Laban to work seven years in order to marry Rachel. And I love what it says in Genesis chapter 29, verse 20. It says, so Jacob served seven years 
to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Evidently, Jacob had discovered a treasure that was worth going all in for in order to make room in his life to receive and embrace Rachel as his wife. In Proverbs 18, verse 22, it reminds us that the man who finds a wife finds a treasure, and he receives favor from the Lord. Jacob found a woman that he treasured so much that he ended up not only working seven years, which was the original agreement, but then through a series of circumstances, you can read about it later, he eventually had to work 14 years just to marry Rachel. That is commitment, my friends. Jacob counted the cost, and he chose to sacrifice for Rachel any way because, in his estimation, she was worth it. In the same way, God's kingdom will be established when we embrace its value. Seven years ago, I'm sure you have heard a little bit this morning about it, uh, today, like literally right now, Angie and I had just gone in to Milwaukee Providence Hospital to induce labor. And within a, few, within a few short, painful hours, my daughter Maggie was born. A healthy seven pounds, seven ounce, or seven pounds, zero ounces, excuse me, and 19 inches long. I got to be there in the delivery room while it happened. I was there with our friend Laura Duncan, who kind of acted like a doula a little bit. She's fantastic. Uh, Both our moms were there. Angie's sister Emily was there. The album Barton Hollow by the Civil Wars was playing on the CD player because we're folksy like that. And it was there in that room that my precious Magdalene was born. Man, her name means a high tower consecrated to God. And she is one of the most treasured people in my life. Her very presence has, in the world has forever impacted my life, and I wouldn't have it any other way. I mention that for two reasons. The first is that it's her birthday, and so you should uh, take a moment when you're out in the lobby to greet her and give her a high five and say, hey, way to go, it's your birthday. Uh, She will get a kick out of that, and she will love that. The second reason I bring all of this up is that when Angie and I first discovered that we were expecting, it produced a joy in us that was so beyond description. When Angie shared the news with me, the smile on my face. Whew! I remember that smile. And... We discovered a value in a treasure that God was going to trust us with as parents, and we were excited to embrace her. But, you know, there's nine months to get ready. And so for the full term of Angie's pregnancy, we were busy making room in our lives for Maggie, which required sacrifice on our part. Similarly, we find that making room for the kingdom will require sacrifice. And what that means for you may be different than what it means for me. 
But at the root of this lesson is this, that the kingdom of heaven is supremely valuable. Nothing compares to it. Not even my daughter Maggie compares to the kingdom of heaven. When we understand that, when we truly embrace the king and his kingdom, it will begin to transform and impact our lives each and every day. The kingdom will be established when we embrace its value. The second lesson we learn from Matthew 13, it's going to be up on the screen in a moment, making room for the kingdom will require investment. In verse 45, Jesus gave his disciples another illustration to describe the kingdom of heaven. Whereas the man in the first uh, was a man who was walking through a field, stumbled on the treasure almost by accident, the merchant was searching for pearls. He was searching for fine treasure. He's looking for that diamond in the rough, so to speak. He's being intentional about his search by first and foremost investing his time and his stamina, his energy to go and search for these pearls. But then, when he finds that one pearl that takes his breath away, that produces a joy in him so great, he takes all that he has, his current wealth along with the profit from selling all his current possessions, which would have more than likely included pearls, other pearls of great price. The merchant goes all in for this one pearl. This was as much an acquisition of one pearl as it was an investment. And based on the details of this parable, this was a no-brainer investment for this merchant. The fact of the matter is, friends, is that we invest in things or situations that we find are worth the cost. I have some examples. So when I was in high school, I'm sure, you know, for those of you who are attention to detail people, you've been wondering, why is there a weight on the stage or on the front step? Shouldn't somebody have removed that? No, it's an illustration. So in high school, my band teacher... Uh, would use this illustration just to, you know, inspire us students who were really terrible at practicing to practice our instruments so we'd sound good at the holiday concerts, right? And so he was trying to inspire us to, to practice. And so what he would say is, you don't just take a weight or like have a weight set. You don't go out and buy a weight set and just let it sit there. Because when you go over to a friend's house, or like when a friend comes over to your house, excuse me, and you know, you're having conversation, you're going, you're doing your do, and the it eventually comes up, wow, you have a weight set. And you're like, Yeah, it's it's really cool. I got this killer deal on it, Black Friday, you should have gotten it. And um and they say, Wow, so you work out. No, not really. I, I picked up I picked up the dumbbell once, you know. But ah, I'm too busy for that. What's wrong with that picture? I think we all know what's wrong with that picture, right? We, um, when we get a weight set, we expect to get stronger. But it's not going to do anything just sitting there collecting dust, right? We actually have to invest the time and the energy into using that weight set. 
I have another example. So here is this guitar uh, that I've been playing for the last uh, few weeks. And someone very generously gave it to me. I didn't have to pay for it myself. Um, if I had, I probably would have picked a different color. But, you know, <laughs> beggars can't be choosers. And so <laughs> anyway, um, this guitar is not just any guitar. This is not just something that you pick up at Guitar Center or uh, even one of the local guitar shops. This is a unique guitar because this is a Fender custom shop guitar. Somebody decided, you know what? I want to have a pretty guitar, and so I'm going to pay Fender to build a custom unique guitar that suits my interests. And so what they did is they, you can go online and you can design, you know, however you want it, which color, which, you know, texture of paint pattern that you want on things, like even down to the color of the pickguard and the hardware. And you pay a lot of money to get a unique guitar like this. But friends, what if I never played it? Would it still be valuable? Like, technically, yes. It's a Fender. It, it's valuable. The brand name. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's amazing. I love it. And it sounds so good. But if I never played it, the practical value of this guitar, however great it may be, doesn't get applied to my life. I have another object illustration because I love them. Uh, I'll keep explaining myself on different occasions. I have this Bible. Um, and this Bible has a lot of sentimental value to me. Uh, this Bible is the one that, um, that Angie gave me when I completed my ordination and my, uh, my time with the Pacific Evangelical School of Ministry. She gave me this Bible. This is what I was sworn in on. Um, and uh, the brand or the publishing house is Cambridge, which has been publishing Bibles, no joke, since 1591. That's a long time. And uh, not only that, they use quality materials and traditional bookbinding methods. And this is what's considered a fine Bible. There's probably another official term for it, but it is a nice Bible. There's a lot of value contained in this one object. A Bible like this is truly an investment, literally. Uh, but imagine if I never opened it, if I just let it sit there and collect dust, I, you know, I, I watch it. Somebody might be like, wow, nice Bible. I know, right? Killer deal. If I, if I never opened it, if I never read the words that are contained in this book and applied them to my life, then, not disrespecting, but the object itself, this book, wouldn't have a lot of practical value when applied to my life. Now, don't misunderstand me. It's the Word of God. I love it. And, but... But the illustration is that the, something of value comes when we invest time in it, when we embrace it by investing time in it. 
what embracing looks like is this. The act of going all in and making room for it in your life is investing your time and your stamina, your everything into pursuing that object. And so in our passage today, Jesus is encouraging us to do that with the kingdom of God, to go all in and pursue the king and his kingdom, to devote your time and your energies to finding out what the king has to say for your life. Making room will require investment. But we also learn from Matthew 13 that making room for the kingdom will be worth it. In Jesus' parables, both men saw the value of the treasure they had found. Both of them had incredible joy that they, like they had just won the lottery when they found it. And so in both parables, they took everything that they had and sold it just to buy that treasure. In the illustration, uh, we never learn the fate of these men. We aren't told what happens some 5, 10, 25, or 50 years or beyond this faith exchange. But perhaps we could infer that if this treasure is so valuable, it's safe to say that they would look back at the end of their life in that moment in time when they made that exchange and that purchase, they would say, worth it. It was absolutely worth going all in for the kingdom. So let's return for a moment to our initial question of so what? Why is Advent so important in our lives year in and year out? Why do we continue to celebrate it as Christians? I would submit to you that Advent is so important because it's remembering that moment when Jesus stepped into human history as a baby so that he could inaugurate and bring about his kingdom here and now. The prophet Isaiah described what it would be like when the Messiah would come and establish his, uh, his kingdom here. In Isaiah chapter 61, it says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Jesus echoes this in Luke chapter 4, where he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. 
the picture of this prophecy is that of the broken being made whole again, of those who are oppressed and in bondage being made free, of ruined cities being restored, of those who are caught up in sadness and despair and sorrow being given joy and jubilant celebration. Why? Because the Messiah has come to set everything right. He has come to establish and bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. And friends, this is the will of God for your life. That you would not only see the value of the kingdom, but that you would embrace it and that you would apply it to your life beyond just four weeks a year. I believe that God wants his kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, to be planted in and take root in your heart today. And through the work of the Holy Spirit, that you would be made whole and complete from the inside out. That you would experience freedom and healing and restoration. The question is, will you embrace it? Will we embrace it? God's kingdom will be established when we embrace its value. And the first step in embracing it is to make room for it. The invitation of Advent is to put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, our great deliverer, the Savior, King, and to let his kingdom be born in our hearts today and for the rest of our lives. But now what? See, we're getting to that question. Now what? Where do we go from here? What are some next steps that we can take? I provided a few for you up on the screen. We'll get there in a moment. Uh, the first step, step one, is to accept the invitation to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, to make him not just the king of Christmas, but also the king of your life. Step two, uh, Make room for the kingdom every single day, every moment of your life. Make the hard choices that are both a sacrifice and an investment. If you've never done a Bible reading plan, either download, I would encourage you, you don't have to, but I would encourage you to download the Version Bible app uh, on your smartphone where there are literally hundreds, if not thousands of plans to choose from that are tailor-made so that you can just like dig right in to the word and be encouraged by it. You know, whatever format you choose, make room in your daily schedule to at least read one chapter a day. Because if you haven't counted it up before, if you read just one chapter a day, you would be through the entire Bible in five years. That multiplies exponentially as you read more than just a chapter a day, but you get it. So anyway, but the point is, I'd encourage you that this year, read at least a chapter a day and watch as God's word transforms your life. If you've never participated in a Bible study before, start going to one and watch how God transforms you through being in godly community and digging deeper into his word, actually cracking your Bible and reading what God's word has to say. Come on. And now, step three, we're cooking. Consistently connect with God the King. I like to keep things simple and easy 
because I don't think I could contain it otherwise. And so I found that there are, um, there's an easy way, to, if you don't have this habit in your life, to connect with God. And that is to give God the first 15 minutes of your day. It's not that much, but give him at least the first 15 minutes of the day. It's broken up into three different movements, three different parts, three different actions. The first is to worship. And so you would take five minutes to listen to a worship song. You would take, or maybe to sing your favorite hymn, or, you know, just look up on YouTube worship music. I don't know. Like, uh, or type into Spotify. There's tons of there's so much access to uh, media these days, it's amazing. And so you spend the first five minutes just listening to worship, getting your mind adjusted so that you are focusing on God. The next five minutes, you spend reading Scripture. Most chapters in the Bible, except for Psalm 119, uh, take less than five minutes to read, or at least five minutes to read. And so... You consume the word of God, I would encourage you to consume the word of God before you consume any other kind of media or food that day, unless it's coffee. Um, And finally, you take the last five minutes to pray, to spend time praying over your day. You praise God for who he is, what he's done in your life. You repent of any sin that may be separating you from him or maybe a, a tripping hazard for you throughout the day and you ask God to be with you throughout your day and you also ask for maybe specific things that you need and you know different things that are coming up and then at the very end of your prayer you yield to his will because he is the king of your life And so those three simple practices of connecting with God our King will impact your daily life and ultimately impact your 2019. Step four, it's really quick. uh, Share the King and His kingdom through serving others. I don't have a lot of time to go through this today, but if you uh, have any questions about that, share the King and His kingdom by serving others. Ask the person next to you, uh, or if you're not... uh, you know, courageous enough to do that, ask Pastor Steve, and he will be more than willing to uh, share with you ideas of how you can uh, serve uh, in that way. But friends, if you apply these next steps in your life, I truly believe that you will begin seeing fruit of the kingdom in your life. And that by next year, you and I may not be asking the so what question. We might not be asking, wow, man, why... We do Advent every year. Why are we doing this? But we will be just transformed from the inside out. And we will be completely different people by next December and hopefully prepared for what God's kingdom would have for us. And so, friends, would you stand with me as as we close out today? Um, And let's pray.